0: This is Dave Alrich. you're listening to Radio Free Leader, and David Burkus is a genius.
1: Welcome to Radio Free Leader. I'm your host, David Burkus, best-selling author and recovering academic, and this is the show that tears down the wall between the ivory tower and the corner office. Each episode brings you an outstanding thinker to help you lead smarter by sharing insights from social science and practical applications for leadership, innovation, and strategy. Make sure you stay up to date with Radio Free Leader and get some great stuff we don't share on the show by joining our community. You can sign up on the show notes page for this episode at DavidBurkis.com slash 716 or text Radio Free to 33444. We'll even get you caught up with our Radio Free Leader Starter Kit, a collection of our most popular episodes sent right to your email inbox so you can listen in just one click. Again, that's davidberkus.com slash 716 or text Radio Free, all one word, to 33444. I want to remind you, my new book, Under New Management, is out. It's available. We're up to 60-plus Amazon reviews, 4.7 out of 5 stars. The response is amazing. I really believe the ideas in this book are representative of the changes we need to make in the workplace in order for people to bring their whole selves to work and do their best work. If you haven't already read the book, I think you would really enjoy the stories in it. So check it out. You can get it at davidberkus.com. From there, there are links to your favorite retailers. If you have read the book, I would love to hear your thoughts. Reach out to me on social media, email me, um, drop me a line in the show notes in the comments for the show notes page for this episode. I would love to hear your thoughts on what stands out. Again, Under New Management, it's been out for over a month now. The response has been fantastic. Check it out at davidberkus.com. Today's episode features Dave Ulrich. Dave is actually a longtime intellectual hero of mine from way back in the day when he wrote books that were very limited to HR. He broadened that to HR and leadership and a variety of different people practices. And he's back uh, now talking about an amazing concept he calls the Leadership Capital Index. Dave has spent 10 years digging into the data on the difference that leaders make and how they make that difference. And he's arrived at an objective way to measure the power of leadership on shareholder value, shareholder returns, and overall creation of value inside the organization. It's amazing. So check out our interview with Dave Ulrich on the Leadership Capital Index and find out why good leadership makes perfect sense. Sense with a C and with an S. Let's check out that interview. So who are you and what do you do?
0: I'm Dave Ulrich, I'm a, I have multiple hats and multiple titles. Uh, in this setting, I'm a professor of the, at the business school, the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan. I've been there for a number of years. Um, my passion is to understand how do you help organizations win? How do you create value? And it's, it's a personal passion. And the logic is that value is not defined by what we do, but by what somebody gets from what we do. I've been married a long time. When I get my wife a gift, I used to get her gifts that I thought were terrific, tickets to a sporting event. I discovered something. That doesn't work. (laughs) Values defined by what somebody gets. And so in leadership, and I study leadership in organizations, I'm listening careful not to what leaders know and do, but to the value they create for somebody else. And so I love the idea of authentic leadership, but I think authentic leadership, absent the creation of value is more narcissistic. It's about me, and I'm authentic. I want to create leaders who drive value. And most of the value of leadership, and I'm almost done with the long answer, is about the employee. I am a good leader, so my employees are inspired, they're motivated, they're productive, they give their best, or my organization reaches its goals. In the last few years, I've been increasingly convinced that the successful organization is not inside out who we are, it's what somebody gets, it's outside in. And so my interest is how do I create value through leadership for the customers and the investors of the company? That's a long introduction to a simple concept. Are the customers and investors of a company getting value from the quality of leadership that we have?
1: See, and I think it's a it's a fascinating question because we've had, um, you know, one of the books I was privileged to read uh, during my holiday break when I sort of catch up on all of 2015's books was um, Jeff Pfeffer has his new book, Leadership BS, which basically talks about how the the billion-dollar leadership development industry, a lot of it's a farce and all that sort of stuff. And it can be tempting then to just basically throw out, like, yes, okay, this all of this leadership rhetoric, these are all nice to haves, not gotta haves. And what I really liked about the Leadership Capital Index was was no, when we actually talk about value, quantifiable value, you know, market value, we can actually start to quantify some of these things, which is which is really interesting to me because your your book came out, and also there was a book on character and actually finding sort of a connection to market value in in character as well, which is fascinating because the you know the org psychologist in me, the Peter Drucker devotee, the grad student reading stuff like the Why of Work, which was one of yours. It's one of my favorites, and and other books, and just going like these these things are great. Man, we're going to have a hard time selling these to Wall Street, and so I. I want to assume that that frustration is what really led you to the leadership capital index and trying to actually get at this, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. So I guess how did how did we get to that re- realization because it's a what you just said even though it was a long intro, it was actually a very short um going into this topic, which is a big idea um whose time has come. So how did we get here?
0: So uh, we get there in lots of different ways. I mean, I do research and I read and I've edited journals and look at leadership and I just keep thinking, what's the value? But but I also get there from listening to stories with executives. So a number of years ago, I'm sitting with an executive, and he says, can you advise me and help me? And I say, tell me the challenge. And he said, I earn a 100 in earnings. My competitor earns a 100. The market value of their 100, the price earnings, the market value is 40. Mine is 20. I'm not getting the same value from the 100 that they are. So they get a 4,000 market value, I get a 2,000. And he said, essentially, lots of good advisors come in and say, here's how to grow your business, innovate, product innovation, globalization, or here's how to save cost in your business, re engineer, manage process. So my 100 is 120. But if it's still only worth a 20 multiple, I'm then at 2400. And he said, can you help me understand how do I get investors to make my 100 worth 4, 40? not 20. And he said that, and I thought, holy smokes. Then I look at the research by Baruch Lev, who's the, the, the godfather of this field in intangibles. Two firms in the same industry with the same earnings don't have the same market value. That's a fascinating wrinkle. How do I make sense out of that? How do I solve that? By the way, to be really fair, I'll go back. This was a story 15 years ago. I said, well, tell me about your HR person. Oh, I have a great HR person. They help me hire people. They train people. They pay people. They manage culture. They manage diversity. They're great. And then he said, so how does that HR person help you solve the problem that you're worth a 20 in a multiple and they are 40? And he stopped and he said, I don't understand. That's a strange question. They're doing HR. What I'm worried about is business. Hmm. And I'm going, Holy smokes, HR is not about HR, it's about business. So that began, David, a, a, a journey of inquiry. And a simple question, how come two firms in the same industry with the same earnings have a different multiple? And can we affect that? So that's that's where the journey began. It's a long journey. This This book, Leadership Capital Index, took 10 years to write because I think the facile answer is, yes, leadership matters take a leader to dinner and see if they if they smell good, look good, and and don't cheat on their taxes. Well that's pretty facile. That's not very helpful. Can we be deeper about the research that teaches us what investors can look for in evaluating leadership?
1: Yeah, no, and I, I think this is um I think this is fascinating because of you know that distinction that you just said, the idea that like, oh, they do HR, they don't do business. You know, the, the majority of people that we, and I say we as in business schools, sort of push out there into the world as newly minted MBAs, know business. They sort of know the, okay, here's what investors, here's what shareholders, here's what customers value in measurable metrics, and therefore, I know what actions I need to take to sort of tweak these metrics. And we teach them all sorts of fun financial concepts and models, and then then we say, like, you're, you're equipped to be a leader at the highest level. And very rarely do we teach them that that people piece is is equally important i think mostly because we we didn't have the models you know it took like you said it's been a 10 year journey so so now that we have these models i hope we embark on a 10 year journey of sort of shifting out how we engage this in curriculum etc but at the, at the same time what i think is ironic is that 10 year journey also to me coincides with probably the 50 year journey we have of shifting from very product based firms to project and people-based firms, where this number is probably even more explanatory than it would have been had we done the same calculations in the 1950s, where most sort of, you know, American firms were still making products here and were that kind of factory industrial model. Now we've sort of shifted um, for a while, and it almost makes this – like, I'm, I'm grateful – it may have taken 10 years, but I'm grateful it's here because it's more important now than it even would have been 10 years ago. Does that make sense?
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Here's an exercise that I've done that somebody listening might do, especially if you're an investor. Three buckets that you invest in, one that that drive your investment criteria. One is financial. Does the firm consistently and predictably make money? By the way, nobody's going to walk away from that. And, you know, well, not all the way, but Uber and Amazon haven't made as much money as their value. The second is a second bucket called intangibles, their strategy, their brand, their industry position, Airbnb, Uber, getting very high multiples with relatively low profits. And the third curve, if you think of these in curves, is the quality of leadership. And so I ask investors, divide 100 points. What matters when you're making an investment decision? And here's what we find. Financial is 35 to 40%. That's not precise, but it's, it's in that range. So you got to be able to make money either now or in the future. The intangibles give you a promise for future earnings. It's 30 to 35%. And leadership is in the high 20s. It's 25 to 30. What I'm trying to do is to be realistic. Leadership is not the only factor. I mean, you can have brilliant leaders, and if the firm doesn't make money, they're not going to be successful. But leadership is a piece 25 to 30% when we've done our research. Then I do a second question, 0 to 10 how well can you assess each of those? How well you, can you assess financials? Nine out of 10. Most of us have been through MBA programs. We've got degrees. We've got valuation models. We've got analytics up the gazoo. We can tell you more details than you'll ever want to know. How well can you assess intangibles? Are they strategically well-positioned? Do they have a good brand? Uh, Do they have a good R&D budget? Seven or eight out of 10. How well can you assess leadership? Three or four out of 10. That's the gap I'm trying to fill. Can we bring discipline to that leadership assessment gap.
1: Hmm. And you, and you, I mean, you've done that in this sort of leadership capital index. So I, I guess at this point, so now I have the big question of like, cool, how do we do this? I know that you, we divide it between the individual and the organizational, but there's a lot of other factors in there that all sort of help us measure this, this leadership capital index.
0: Yep. Let me, uh, and again, it's an interesting problem. So let me do a parallel. You go back in time, there's a Moody's index or a standard and poor's index or a Fitch's index the measures creditworthiness. And the the Standard & Poor's index says there's five dimensions of creditworthiness. Can you repay the money you borrow? And we'll have indicators of each of those five. Now this is going to be a little bit arrogant and some of this is the blessing of age and maturity. Over 10 years I tried to look across the leadership research. Jeff Seffer does an incredible job saying some of this research is more about do you like your leader? So it's not really grounded and I tried to say, are there some clusters? My training is in numerical taxonomy. Somebody should get paid if they can say that. It's, uh, but it's the study of patterns and statistics. So when I looked across the leadership literature, I said, there's two buckets. Like, the, do we have a good leadership worthiness, like credit worthiness? Instead of five, there's two. One is about the individuals. Does the leader and do the members of the leadership team have a set of traits? You know what? That's pretty simple. When I look at a company, I look at the leader. I look at the CEO and his or her team. The second bucket is about the organization or human capital systems they create. Because leadership is not just about the person, it's about the system. And so then I've looked in each of those buckets and said, bucket one is the individual, the traits of the individual leader. What's in there? And again, we call these five elements. We're not sure they're perfect. I'm not going to be that naive. Personal proficiency, integrity, trust, authenticity. Character, the piece that the, the book on character is a phenomenal book. The work on authenticity is phenomenal. It's one element of the personal side. A second element of the personal side is strategic agility. Do they, as individuals, have an, uh, an ability to define and create strategy for the future? A third piece of that individual skill is execution. Do they get things done? Do they do what they promise? A fourth one is their ability to manage people today and tomorrow. Are they multipliers in Liz Wiseman's great work? Do they make other people better? And a fifth one is, do they have the leadership skills required for their unique situation? If I'm building an Airbnb or a a Uber, I'm going to have to have more creativity than if I'm building a more traditional healthcare system. I don't think I want to innovate in surgery the same way I'd innovate in Uber. And so those five elements, personal proficiency, strategy, execution, people, talent, and leadership brand or uniqueness those are the five elements of the personal bucket the organization bucket also has five elements and there's nothing magical about these five but number one do they build a culture uh peter drucker you mentioned him as a great icon in our field he's attributed to have said strategies culture for lunch by the way no one can find the quote Uh, one of my great takeaways if you have a great quote attributed to peter drucker then everybody will
1: Keep saying it or Abraham Lincoln or Mark Twain or Abraham
0: Lincoln or uh, Albert Einstein. (laughs) Uh, By the way, Dave, all Richard, uh, there's no David in that list. Sorry about that. (laughs) Um, But, but culture is so key. Can they build a culture that outlasts the individual? A second organizational system is talent flow. It's not about the individual skill of the person. It's about the flow of talent. Do they have an ability to flow talent through the company? Third, accountability. Do they have a system that ensures performance and accountability? Fourth on the organization side is information. Do they have a great ability to do analytics and information? Google would be a case in that. And fifth, do they have the ability to organize and govern work in a, re- in a reasonable way? Those 10 dimensions begin to be very granular. So stay at two high levels. One is look at the people. Do they have the right set of skills? By the way, I love the character book and my comment back to them is that's one of 10 dimensions or elements of leadership. If it's the only one you look at, it's like riding a unicycle. It's not very stable. I want to help people measure all 10. That's the beauty and the curse of this book. It gives you two buckets, individual and organizational, five elements in each and then metrics that we can track for each of those.
1: Hmm. Yeah, no. And I think, I think the biggest key is this idea of the metrics, right so we have these we have these leadership models in the past, you know we have five practices we have authentically, we have transformationally we have all these different sort of theories. I love the idea that you sort of worked backwards into these, but also that they are tangential to so many of them. As you said, character, hugely important. Authentic leadership, hugely important, right? But all of them are are parts of this bigger model that, that we can actually measure, which there's a famous Drucker quote about what can be measured and what matters, uh, and they're not always the same thing. What I love is that you've now sort of provided a way to measure some of those things that we previously kind of didn't think, which, again, hopefully, I, I hope, gets worked into business school curriculum and all of those sort of things because there is now sort of a financial reason which it frustrates me actually as the org psych guy that uh, sometimes we need to tie it back into finance in order to get anyone to pay attention to it. But you've done that, which is awesome. Well, I
0: don't want to tie it just into finance. I want to tie it to market value. Remember the story of my, my CEO said, gee, I can get my 100 in earnings to 120. I can increase revenue. I can do innovation. I can go global. I can get more product uh, adjacencies, or I can cut costs. I want to create a change in the price-earnings ratio. I want investors to look at a company and say, you know, I look at that company, A, you've made money, got it. B, you've got great intangibles. Your strategy is pretty good. Your R&D is good. Your brand is good. You're positioned in the right industry. Now, I have confidence in your leadership in a rigorous way. On those 10 dimensions, we can look at three sources of data. One is when an investor does due diligence in a company we've gone from 8,000 publicly traded companies to 4,000. That's one of the biggest shifts in the last 50 years in in the structure of industry. In those private equity firms, they're having to learn that due diligence is a key factor. And when they do due diligence, my advice simply is look at all 10 of these dimensions. And so when you do interviews or observations, we have metrics when you go into a firm that you can look at. For example, if you want to look at Um, personal proficiency. Does the leader talk more about I or we? In America right now, and this will date this a little bit, but it happens in every election. There's a politician who spends most of his time talking about himself. I did this, I did this, I did this. Frankly, if I'm an investor, I ding him. Because I don't want a leader who builds himself or herself. I want someone who talks about, we built this company, we did this. At a personal level, interview leader. How did they deal with failure? I don't want a leader who's always succeeded. I want someone who says, you know what? I have made a mistake and I've learned from it. Here's how I manage that. How does a leader observe and talk about others in the research? And again, all of these, what's fun, have a research basis behind them about how these behaviors drive results. But in the research, is the leader five to one positive to negative? When that leader interacts with his or her staff, do people leave feeling great about themselves? We can come up with organizational evidence, and that's the second source, not only a personal visit, but every organization has data on leadership. We have a 360. We have a career history. We can get that organizational evidence, and what's really cool is we're working to get a social media evidence. We're Mm -hmm. saying there's a lot of data out there on companies like Glassdoor.com. Let's distill that data. So When we take these 10 dimensions, think of them as rows, we have three columns. Inside the company visits, ops, or uh, data from the company, column two, and social media. That gives us data that creates an index. Now, the final piece, and I want to be very realistic about this. I'm meeting with one of the uh, thought leaders in private equity. It's a company that manages $85 billion, hoping to get to $100 billion. Great company. And he said, we struggle with this as one of our top two or three business issues. He said, we've learned over the last 15 years how to how to evaluate numbers. Is this a good economic uh, decision? We've learned how to evaluate intangibles. Is it a good industry? Do they have the right brand? Are they positioned well? We don't know how to evaluate leadership very well. And we do due diligence, and we're not sure it's right. And he said, here was the aha. If your index can improve our assessment 10%, that's worth hundreds of millions to us. And here's the takeaway for me, David, that's so fun. One of the reasons this book took 10 years, I wanted a perfect assessment. I wanted to know the score in a baseball game. I wanted the ninth inning score from the first inning. Hmm. You know what? It's not going to happen. This index is going to give us a 10 to 20 to 30% improvement from character. By the way, character would be great. But remember, it's a unicycle. It's one dimension. Mm -hmm. It's only one piece of leadership. So don't don't build your assessment on one piece look at the other nine and then go that improves my overall ability significantly anyway that's what we're trying to do um i'm not sure we've got it right i think we've defined the right question in the right landscape this is a moonshot in the google terms this is a managerial moonshot yeah and if we can get it it just changes conversation
1: yeah. It reminds me of that uh, that saying all models are wrong, but some models are useful, right? So, you know, I love that, that you really wanted a perfect good. model, but this this is a model that we know is at least useful because even if it improves prediction ten percent, it's still worth a, a lot, which is great. And so I hope it becomes a model that gets taught in business school curriculums, et cetera. But if you're if you don't want to wait to that, if you don't want to wait ten years to see this in an MBA curriculum, you can get the book Leadership Capital Index now, which is awesome. Dave, I, I wonder though, I know that I know that you're not in favor of leaders who only talk about me, 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 but we do five questions at the end of an interview that are exactly about that, you. So I wonder if I can ask you those questions. Absolutely. Starting with, what's the best advice you've ever received? Don't take yourself too seriously. Hmm. No, good, good advice and plays into exactly what we were just talking about. That's awesome. Question two, what's an average day look like for you?
0: Oh, 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 oh. I'm embarrassed to even say this. I'm often awake from two to four in the morning. That's, there's a thing called split sleep. And that's when I do my thinking and writing. Then I get up. I, uh, my wife says I have OCD. She's a psychologist. Not obsessive compulsive disorder, but organization compulsive. I am a confessed workaholic. I read, I write um, probably 12 hours a day, two hours in the middle of the night, and then 10 hours. So I do other things. I walk. I exercise. I talk to my wife. I love sports, but I'm consumed with uh, my writing and reading. And no two days are the same, but hmm. I usually am up from two to four in the morning. If anybody ever wants to get a hold of me, that's the
1: time to send me a note. I so that explains a couple different emails that we've been trading over the past week. I've actually I read an article about that 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 before um, before the invention of artificial light, basically yep. in the, especially yep. in the winter, we would go to bed at, at, you know, sunset and most people would wake up for a few hours in the middle of the day and then go back to, to bed, which I think is a, a fascinating concept as a sort of creature of modernity, this idea that that, so, you know, you're, you're in touch with your, maybe not paleo, but you're at least in touch with your, you know, 11th century, uh, archetype there, which is awesome. Uh, third question, what are you reading right now? <laughs> at two in the morning, what are you reading right I, now? I at have two a, in the morning, I have
0: a, right now. Um, well, I, uh, I'm embarrassed. I, my wife and I take January. We live in Utah, where it's snowing. We've had a discovery that it's more fun to walk on the beach than to shovel snow. So in January, we uh we come to La Jolla for a month in California, and I read novels. So I just picked up some novels. I pick authors. I think I picked up a Ludlum novel. I picked up a. Uh, uh, just, I read novels and, uh, now having said that, I also read business authors, but I'm confessing, I read three types of things. I read novels, I read business authors. I love reading anything Jeff Pfeffer writes, anything Ed Lawler writes, anything Steve Kerr writes, anything Linda Gratton writes, Gary Hamill. I just, I find authors, the one I follow. And then the third is I, I daily read out of Bible and scripture studies. So those are my uh, three buckets of reading.
1: Hmm. No, very cool. Um, which is all of those buckets are way easier to read in La Jolla, California, uh, in January for sure. Um, and it and two at two in the morning, I bet. Uh, fourth question: What do you believe that most people don't? Great question. I know this is the one um, that, I, that this is the one that I start giving people these questions ahead of time so they can figure <laughs> figure out the answer well, to.
0: I, I believe people have the capacity to learn and to grow. Um, my passion is learning; it's growing. And probably because I believe it, I assume it in others. But I believe from a positive point of view, people have the ability to learn and to grow and to develop the talents that they've been
1: given. Hmm. Final question. Uh, the title of the podcast is Radio Free Leader. Your, your book is The Leadership Capital Index. In, in your view, what makes someone a leader?
0: That's him. Uh, they add value to someone else. Leadership is not what you know and do. It's the value you create for others.
1: Those are, those are all awesome answers, and I love that idea, again, of bringing it all home with leadership and creating value for others. If you want to know more about Dave's ideas uh, on the Leadership Capital Index, that's actually the name of the book. While you're there, like while you're on Amazon looking that up, click his name and look. He's got like 30 other books that are all great, several of which were in my curriculum for master's degree in graduate school, so they're all a solid read. Dave, thank you so much for joining us on Radio Free Leader.
0: Thank you so much, David. Just a great opportunity. Thanks.